Chapter Twenty Three of An Outback Marriage by Andrew Barton Patterson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Arrowhead Aussie. Chapter Twenty Three. Hugh goes in search. Who does not remember the first exciting news of the great Grant v. Grant will case? The leading Q.C.s watched eagerly for briefs. Juniors who held even the smallest briefs in connection with it patronized their fellows and explained to them intricate legal dodges which they themselves had thought out and pumped into their learned leaders. Took me a doos of a time to get him to see it, but I think he's got it at last, they used to say. The case looked like lasting for years, for there would be appeals and counter-appeals, references, inquiries and what not, and in getting ready for the first fight, the lawyers on each side worked like beavers. Blake let it be known among the clans that he was going to fight the case for Peggy, and that there was going to be a lawsuit such as the most veteran campaigner of them all had never even dimly imagined. A lawsuit with the happiness of a beautiful woman and the disposal of a vast fortune at stake. Word was carried from selection to selection, across trackless mountain passes and over dangerous river crossings, until even Larry, the outermost Donahoe, heard the news in his rocky fastness, miscalled a grazing lease, away in the gullies under the shadows of Black Andrew Mountain. By some mysterious means it even reached Briny Doyle, who was camped out near the foothills of Kosciuszko, running wild horses into trapyards. This occupation had taken such a hold on him that he had become as wild as the horses he pursued, and it was popularly supposed that the other Doyles had to go out with horses to run him in whenever they wanted him. Peggy brought in the copy of her marriage certificate, an old and faded piece of paper which ran, this is to certify that I, Thomas Nettleship, duly ordained clergyman of the Church of England, have this day solemnized a marriage between William Grant, bachelor, and Margaret Donohoe, spinster. The name of Pike's Hotel and the date were nearly illegible, but there the document was, and though it was not the original certificate, it was pretty clear that Peggy could have never invented it. Its production made a great impression. It certainly went far to convince Blake. He had cross-examined all the witnesses, had checked their accounts by each other, had followed William Grant's career at that time, had got on to the history of the bush machinery, and everything fitted in. Martin Doyle, Black Martin's son Martin, was letter-perfect in his part. Peggy could give the details of the ceremony with unfaltering accuracy fifty times a day if need be, and never contradict herself. So at last he gave up trying to find holes in the case and determined to go in and win. On the other side there was trouble in the camp. No witnesses could be found, except Martin Doyle, and he was ready to swear to the wedding. At last it became evident that the only chance of overthrowing Peggy's case was to find Considine, but the earth seemed to have swallowed him up. The influence of the chief of police was brought to bear, and many a weary mile did the troopers of the outer back ride in search of the missing man. One of them followed a Considine about two hundred miles across country, and embodied the story of his wanderings in a villainously written report, brief and uncouth as the narrative was. It was, in itself, an outline picture of bush life, from Shearer's hut to Artisan Borer's camp, from Artesian well to the opal fields, from the opal fields to a gold rush, from the gold rush to a mail coach stable. He pursued this Considine, only to find that, in the words of the report, the individual was not the same. Things looked hopeless for Mary Grant when help came from an unexpected quarter. 
a letter written in rugged forcible fist arrived for charlie gordon from a young fellow named redshaw once the station hand on curryong who had gone out to the back country and was rather a celebrity in his way his father was a pensioner at the old station and redshaw junior who was known as flash jack evidently kept in touch with things at curryong he wrote dear sir i hear from gannon the trooper that you want to find keogh when he left the coach that time he went back to the station and got his horses and cleared out and he is now hiding in reeves buffalo camp at the back of port faraway if i hear any more we'll let you know j redshaw alas flash jack what's all this said pinnock when charlie and carew brought him the letter who is j redshaw and why does he sign alas flash jack he means alias don't you see alias flash jack he is a man we used to have on the station and his father used to work for us i expect he wants to do us a good turn it will be a good turn in earnest if he puts you in the way of finding considine said the lawyer you'll have to send hugh up the old man knows you and carew and if he saw you coming he'd take to the woods as the yankees say even when you do get him the case isn't over because the jury will side with peggy they'll sympathize with her efforts to prove herself an honest woman it isn't marrying too much that will get her into trouble it's the other thing but we have the date and place of her alleged marriage with william grant and if this old considine can prove by documents mind you not by his own simple word because it's a hundred to one the jury wouldn't believe him i say if he can prove that she married him on that very day and at that very place then she's beaten no one on earth could swallow the story of her marrying two different people on the same day hugh can go said charlie he'll have to do his best this time it all depends on getting hold of this considine eh well hugh will have to get him if he fails he needn't show his face amongst us any more mary grant was called in and told the great news and then pinnock started out to find hugh but before the lawyer could see him mary met him in the garden hugh did not see that he could be of any use in the case and wanted to be quit of curryong for good seeing mary day after day he had become more and more miserable as the days went by he determined at last to go away altogether and when once he had made up his mind only waited for a chance to tell her that he was going the chance came as she left the office after consulting with pinnock miss grant he said if you don't mind i think i will resign my management of this station i'll make a start for myself or get a job somewhere else you'll easily get someone to take my place she looked at him keenly for a while i didn't expect this of you she said bitterly the rats leave the sinking ship is that it her face flushed a dull red you know better than that he said i would stop if i could be of any use but what is there i can do why do you want to leave i want to get away from here i want to get out of the hills for a while mary knew as well as if he had told her that what he wanted was to go where he could forget her and see whether her absence would break the chain and triumph lit up her eyes for it was pleasant even in the midst of her troubles to know that he still cared then she came to a swift decision will you do something for me away from the hills then she said where up north i want someone to find that man considine that your brother and mr carew met you know how important it is to me will you do it for me hugh would have jumped at the chance to risk his life for her lightest wish i'll go anywhere and do my best to find anyone you want he said when do you want me to start see mr pinnock and your brother about that they will tell you about it and if you do manage to find this man why you can talk about leaving after that if you want to will you go for me 
Yes, I will go, Miss Grant, and I will never come back till I find this man, if he is alive. She laid her hand on his arm. I know you will do all you can, she said, but in any case, whether you find him or not, come back again. End of chapter 23